Hello, and welcome to Forefront 360, a podcast where we take you all around the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. Um, what Cody said is right. I did my undergrad at the Eastman School of Music just down the road, and it's, it's such a joy to be, to be back in Rochester, I feel like. There is a part of my heart that has just never left this city. Um, so I have an amazing job tonight in that I get to just sit down and have a conversation with a couple great artists that I'm going to introduce you to right now. So first, we have Austin Zick. Austin is a graphic designer originally from San Diego, California, and he currently resides in Pittsburgh. If you've seen our event posters, our social media posts, any of our branding for the past couple of months, that is all thanks to Austin. Uh, whether Austin is working with nonprofits, with churches, or just with his community, uh, Austin really has a gifting for capturing and illustrating vision. Um, he began studying design while he was an English major at Grove City College in Pennsylvania, and has since moved to Pittsburgh and currently freelances. Now, in Austin's own words, he's most interested in how good design influences people's lives and how problem solving in itself can be an art form. Next, we have Melanie Penn. Melanie is a singer-songwriter from New York City. However, her career did not start out on that trajectory. Melanie was raised in the world of classical music and grew up taking voice lessons, eventually moving to DePaul University where she began to pursue a career in opera. Following graduation, Melanie moved to New York City to pursue not opera, but musical theater. Uh, Melanie became a mainstay on the New York City theater scene, performing uh, most, most notably with the touring production of Grease. Uh, in 2010, Melanie made yet another pivotal career shift into the world of singer-songwriting and has since put out three solo albums to critical acclaim and is currently putting to press her fourth album, several of the songs from which we will get to hear tonight at her concert. So would you all give Melanie and Austin a big hand as they come on stage? seems like so many more people when I'm up here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I have a very important question to, to open us with, and that is, how do you like Kanye's new album? <laughs> oh my gosh, I was hoping, I'm like, if we're going to talk about faith and art at this thing, I just hope we talk about Kanye the whole time, <laughs> because I have been captivated not only by, I don't know what everyone thinks, but... By the way, I talk fast, so just tell me to slow down if okay. it's too... Okay. Um, I, I have been captivated totally by the album and all of Kanye's messaging around it. I think that in a lot of ways, he's an example of what Nate's talking about, about artists of faith kind of going to the forefront of the mainstream and saying something. He sounds sincere to me. I mean, mm -hmm. time will tell, but I, I just... I'm love, I, I love it. Wow. Austin? <laughs> um, yeah, I like it too. <laughs> no, it's, it was good. Um, so I think the issues I have with it are more around the culture around it. Like, I feel like, I don't know, the most powerful line for me in the whole album was like, I, I'm going to mess up the quote, but it was like, I told you I was going to make a gospel album. What have you been hearing from the Christians? And it's like, they don't like it because they don't like you. And like, that was probably mm. the most powerful and like telling thing for me in the album. Um, there were songs that really spoke to me that I really didn't want to like, but I loved. Um, that was probably the biggest thing for me. Um, and I think like he's an example of someone who, I don't know, I, I have a lot of thoughts about like our relationship to God. And I think... He's someone who like just lived his life in all of its messiness and impurity and just waited for that to come back. And when it came, it came truly. And he was like being true to who he was before that, you know? Hmm. Like he was just pursuing his art and doing the best he could. And he rose to critical acclaim just because he was a good artist and then realized like I have this gift and now I have this conviction. Hmm. And isn't it cool that they work together now? So, but I thought it was kind of a half-baked album, honestly, musically, but... 
But it's cool. <laughs> what, did, what did you think? I have not listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we should take an applause meter to see, like, did the room like it? <laughs> if you liked Kanye's album, <laughs> clap. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you didn't like it, clap. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was a way more thorough response than I was expecting. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's great. We're off to a good start. Um, while we are having our conversation, should you have any questions for Austin or Melanie, uh, please keep, in mind, keep them in mind. For the last 20 minutes, we'll have a Q&A between all of you and the two of them. We have two mics at the end of these aisles. We'd love to hear from you. So my real first question was, um, I'd love to hear um, your initial introduction to your particular mediums. Um, how are you introduced to it? And, um, what drew you to them? Yeah, so kind of like you said in the um, introduction that you read, uh, yeah, I was studying English at Grove City. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I've always been deeply inspired by words. Um, when I was like in high school, I was like writing a lot of songs and really enjoyed doing that. Um, poetry has always been a form of expression for me. Um, and then I thought, I'm never going to make money at this. I should do something more concrete and hilariously turn to design, thinking that would be better. Um, it is not. So, uh, but that's okay, because it's really fun. Um, so, yeah, I, my, my friend Nick said, you should take this class, and they had just in, like, started um, doing design classes at Grove City. And one of the really fantastic things is when you go to a school where you're teachers and your professors are actual professionals in their field, they are a wealth of knowledge for you. And when the class size is five people, they have so much time to give you. So that was a huge draw for me. Um, and it was literally a three-year mentorship um, with Nate Mucha, who teaches at um, Grove City College. So I fell in love with it. Um, I was always something of an artist. Like, I liked to draw, but I was never really, like, in my mind, very good at it. And it wasn't super life-giving. So... Um, yeah, I started designing, and then um, I moved into trying to do it professionally, and it's kind of worked out. I'm on a little bit of a hiatus right now, but um, yeah, that was how I got started. Okay. Wow. Um, well, I'm a singer, so I think singing is a very intuitive activity. I just always sang, and when I was around six, I sang my first solo in church, on a Christmas Eve service, and I stood in the balcony. The sanctuary was kind of like this. There was a balcony, and I stood on the balcony, and I sang a Christmas carol solo, and then everyone who was in the congregation went, and I thought, okay, this is what we're going to do now. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> wow. And here we are. <laughs> here we are. Meant to be. So as, as you both have you know, continue to cultivate these gifts kind of into adulthood. How does, how does your relationship with the art form change? How does it shape you and? Like, I guess we can answer that however we take the question. That's kind of a broad question. Go for it. I think my relationship with singing, and it's so, f no, it's so fun <laughs> to know there's conservatory students here because I kind of was part of your tribe for a long time before I became a pop singer, don't be mad. I, um, so my relationship with the singing and what singing is has actually never really changed. I think what has changed, what's been the most flexible and up and down is what my relationship is to, is singing going to pay my bills? What is the business of singing? How, mm. how is, what is the um, financial application in the marketplace of singing? So that is something that continues to be very fluid. Um, but the relationship with the singing itself is pretty pure, I would say. Mm. Yeah, it's, I think it's almost too nuanced to get into. Um, I guess a, a brief response would be, I kind of see it as like a Jekyll Hyde and maybe playing off of like what Melanie said where it's like here's this thing I deeply love and then you go and work for a church for a year doing design that you don't believe in that you don't like and that you have to do every day mm. and you're like I hate this and it's killing my soul and so it's like those are strong words but like they were backed up by strong emotions um, and if we do live in the empire of the heart then 
you know? So it's like, so there's that part of it. And then there's like the other side of it where, you know, I always think back to like the 2008 Barack Obama hope poster and like just mm. what that communicated with three colors. So simply that visual communication was so like such a potent representation of what everyone was feeling at the time. And I knew that as, uh, how old was I in 2008? I don't know, you know, young. So it's like, you know, couldn't vote, but I still was like, this is something. Um, so I think there's like that part of you that's like, how do I get through the projects that pay my bills, that, you know, um, are good practice, you know, I'm, it's kind of like that toil. And then there's like the other side of it where you're always striving to better yourself, to improve your skills and your talents, to learn from other people that have done it before. Um, and I think it's just a, I think probably right now for me, the thing that I'm learning most is um, have grace with yourself while you're trying to cultivate both of those things. Hmm. You know, allow yourself to be mad, but also allow yourself to feel good about the things that you do when they, you know, when you've gotten that, you know, good emotional reaction from them, so. Mm. Mm. You know, one thing I've been thinking about <clears throat> as I've been kind of preparing to, to do the interview is how, what I love about having both of you on stage is that, <clears throat> Melanie, you're pushing an album to, to release right now and posting on Instagram and social media all the time about, I have this song, and I have this song, and um, it's very exciting to watch. And then, Austin, in our conversations, we talk about just the experience of, um, kind of being on a hiatus and kind of just kind of resting from the, the creative process. Um, and I wonder if, if either or both of you could speak to, to the seasons of being an artist where you are just kind of fiercely creating, involved in several different projects and getting pulled this way and that, and the seasons where you are just kind of invited to sit back and rest. Well, I guess I'll speak to rest first. Um... Yeah, I think like looking at the pieces that I brought with me here, some of them are two or three years old, you know, and it's, mm -hmm. I think that was telling for me in that I thought like, wow, I haven't really made anything for myself in a while that's like worthy, I guess, in my mind to put up on, you know, in a gallery or whatever. Um, that said, it, it also feels like I've been doing so much and I think that's what's difficult is when you feel like you've been doing a lot mm -hmm. and then you look at like, the results, and you're like, this, this is not like equal in any way. Um, but I think that there's a lot to be said for just like sitting back, going to art museums, seeing what other people are doing, enjoying it, supporting other people. Like it's not passive. Like resting and taking in other people's art and not creating is actually a very active way of being. Um, because all that is is fertil like fertilizing your thoughts for what's going to come next. Um, and I think anyone that's truly an artist or truly a creative person or just someone who makes um, will never be able to not make for an extended period of time. There will always be that itch and that satisfaction when it's scratched. So uh -huh. yeah, I think if you find yourself right now in a time where you're like, I haven't made anything that's worth anything in the past, you know, like you know, two years, it's like, that's okay. Robert Frost wasn't really famous until he was in his 30s, mm -hmm. you know, so. Yeah. And then he was poet laureate. Mm -hmm. Right. You talk about the, the, how the state of rest is not a state of passivity. It makes me think of something the, the hip-hop artist Erica Badu talks about. You know, she's a fairly prolific artist, but she talks about when she's not creating music, she's in a, what she calls a downloading period, <laughs> where she's downloading information and just receiving and, for lack of a better word, kind of consuming the art that comes her way. And I do wonder about how, how that shapes us and how beneficial that is to the creative process, to just have times to just receive. Yeah, I was gonna say something similar to what you said about the fertilizing, but do you guys know the, how many people here are artists, are seeking to be professional artists? Is that like the majority of the room? So like, good. Jesus is king, raising, okay. So, <laughs> the, um, do you guys know the concept of fallow, fallow ground and farming? So this was, I took a road trip through the mid Midwest like 10 years ago and my 
partner, my road trip partner, taught me about how when you're in farming, you have to let your land lay fallow for a while and not grow anything on it. Like, let the soil just be there. Don't plant any seeds on it. Don't try to get crops from it. Let the rain come. Let the cows, like, trot on it and fertilize it again. And that that's actually part of the rhythm of farming. And if you don't do that, the soil becomes completely obsolete. Like, it will not bear any fruit at all ever again. And I think that because we are also organic creatures in this world, like, we have to know we're the same. Like, our soil has to lay fallow for a while. And I don't know if it's always up to us when those seasons come. I mean, we feel it when they come, for sure. But maybe the best thing is to just, like, chill out and let that process run its course. Uh But it's really, I mean, if you have a mind, it's anxiety-provoking when it happens, for sure. Right, yeah. Also, I just moved to Pittsburgh from California, so I get a pass. So, <laughs> yeah, it's funny those the seasons of inactivity, and they can feel like death because we're just not creating, and, and not only not creating, but not kind of feeling the earth and subduing it the ways that we have been called to do, um, and yet. It seems to be that those seasons are very necessary if we are to make any kind of fruitful work as artists. Um, one thing that I was, I was curious to hear you guys' thoughts on, so one thing that I've experienced <clears throat> um, coming out of my own season of just stillness and rest after sustaining a performance injury um, was that getting back into, into playing, into getting into projects and performances again, is that in the year 2019, I feel like the metronome is just turned up to vivace, and I need to just go and get back on the track and program my recitals, take the orchestra auditions, and I've felt just the the fatigue of that, being kind of in our Western society, which so celebrates uh, results and... um, innovation and, and just a quicker tempo than I think is, is sustainable or healthy. Um, so I, I was curious what your experience has been as artists in creating your own work in the kind of tempo that we're in right now. Just like this very prolific, it seems like everybody's always doing something tempo. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good question. Um, so I, I am existing in that tempo. Ooh, man. I'm existing in that tempo in two ways. I think one way is that I have, um, I have, I'm just participating in the daily effort that is social media and looking at that as a way to be putting something out every day. So that's one thing I've done. You might hear this, Zach, and think like, oh, well, then you've relented to the culture of the time, which is maybe true. <laughs> the, the second thing I've done is I have actually like lowered my personal standards in terms of like, oh, does a song need to be perfect before I put it out? And because the rate of consumption right now for any kind of artwork is so rapid, I have thought like, you know what? If it's not my job in this time to judge if something's good enough before I put it out, so I, 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 in a way, have um, given over a bit to the moment that we're in. I think there's pros and cons to that, which is probably another panel. But um, it's true that it's like qua- quant- we're in a quantity over quality time, it seems, mm-hmm. I think, for creators. I don't know how it feels as a performer, like mm-hmm. if you're not writing your own music and stuff, but that's how I do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's hard to think about. You know, I think when I was working as a designer and I was basically an in-house designer and that kind of thing, um, I think it just felt so muddled in some ways. It didn't feel like I was doing a lot, but I was still exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, I would get a project that would really excite me and I would be at that vivace tempo, but it was so life-giving. So it's hard for me to moor it out in my yeah. head where it's like, 
what's good fast and what's bad fast and what's good slow and what's bad slow. Because sometimes you have all this energy and you're like trying to run, but it feels like someone's got a leash and they're like choking you to death. You know, you're like, you're getting blue in the face. Um, so right now it's kind of hard for me to, I, I guess, give a, a really good answer. I'm working in an optical shop right now selling glasses, so I'm not really actively pursuing, you know, I'm kind of in that period of rest, like what you were saying. So I think for me it's more of like, how do I make sure that if I don't know to go fast or slow, how do I just walk? And while I'm walking, make mm. sure that I'm producing things that are true to myself and sharing them with people because that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned is you never know how what you're gonna do or make is gonna encourage someone, even if they think I could do better than that. Like, that's still good, you know what I mean? Like, mm. it kinda hurts, but at the same time, you're like, well, good, then do better than me, and I would love to see it, like, and I, I am willing to engage in that. Like, so mm. that's probably my answer. Yeah. Yeah, I'm struck by what you said, Austin, about there's a good fast tempo and a bad fast tempo, and there being a time and a place for kind of, you know, I, I think about, I hate to be so like classical music, but I think about a symphony, you have a slow movement, you have a fast movement, another slow movement, maybe a waltz, and another fast movement. And they're, they're all necessary for the whole, and the placement of each of those movements is very intentional towards the trajectory of the affect of the whole piece. Um, I guess to be visual with it, if you know, you see a piece that's, you know, just like entirely Ferrari red, like a Ferrari red square on a white wall, you're like, I can't look at this, mm -hmm. you know? And then if you look at a piece that's entirely black, you're like, I also can't look at this. Like, they don't attract you in the same ways. It's when you have that rhythm visually within the same piece that you're like, this is interesting, something's going on here. There's a story here that's being communicated. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, one of the things that I've kind of endeavored to do while in grad school, while everything is just kind of coming at you at 90 miles an hour, <clears throat> is kind of find, find an activity that I can just intentionally just put the brakes on and slow down. Um, so Cody was right, I do have a baking Instagram because I like baking. Um, <laughs> but one, one activity that I've found to be, to be really life-giving is just making bread. Uh, because a bread, a loaf of bread will take me an entire afternoon and if you want a good loaf of bread, you cannot rush it. You need to just let it, let it develop at its, at its own time and its own rhythm. Um, do either of you feel like you have sort of like rhythms in your life aside from just the creative process that really you find beneficial, you find life-giving? Or... I don't think I do, thinking about it right now. So, yeah, I... I kind of do, I don't know. So uh, when I was, I graduated, great group of friends, all that stuff, moved to San Diego, didn't have a lot of friends, um, <laughs> felt rather lonely. So like kind of my life-giving thing has been like just hanging with my friends has been like my slowdown thing um, since I've moved back to Pittsburgh. Just like, I don't know, I'm big on community. Like I love my friends and I'm always like loving making new friends and stuff. But um, with one of my friends very specifically, um, he is an incredibly good chess player. Um, so we go to Eaton Park on Monday nights and play chess. Um, and that is our activity. And we just, like, order pie and sit there and play chess. And um, I get my butt handed to me. And then we go home. And so it's just very, like, methodical. And it uses a part of my brain I don't use a lot. Um, yeah. Uh, but kind of, like, to your point, I actually heard a really good sermon that um, my old pastor preached. And he talked about Sabbath rest. And it was, like there are very necessary times where like, go and do something you wouldn't normally do, which is why I chose chess, because I don't really care for it, I haven't ever really played it, but I like, was like, I'm gonna try this, it's very different from anything I've ever done, and like, having those times where you're like, I hate the outdoors, I'm gonna go hike. Like, mm -hmm. that can be very good, because I think it puts your mind in like a very different mode. Um, I'd open you up to new thoughts you never thought about before or anything. So. Wait, I do that kind of stuff. I thought you meant, is it in a schedule? Do you have things scheduled oh. on a rhythm? And I'm like, no, I don't think I do. But yeah, I love to walk in Central Park. I'm human, too. So I just wanted to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to interject. Yes, yes, I do stuff like that, too. Uh -huh. 
<laughs> so, you know, at Forefront, we're not just excited to talk about excellent art. Um, we're also here to talk about and celebrate being an artist within the context of, of authentic Christian faith. And I wondered if you all, if you, both of you could share a bit just about what your relationship between the art that you make and the faith that you have, how those two things intersect, but specifically how, how have you experienced being an artist um, within the context of the church and how, how that has shaped your relationship to the body? Wow, that's like two questions. That probably was two questions. Okay, so yeah. which one is most interesting, do you think? Answer the first one. What's your, okay, so what is my, because that church one gets dicey. Yeah. <laughs> that church one gets dicey, especially as a singer, because it's like, can you really be a singer in the church, or, or are, you, are you always the worship leader? And like, what's the difference? Mm. So, so that's, that's the third panel that we're going to do later. <laughs> my relationship, I love, I love being a Christian and an artist. And a lot of people call me a Christian artist because some of my songs are like on iTunes in the Christian category, but I think I'm just an artist who's a Christian. And I, I love that because I don't feel that it's always on me to have ideas for songs. I think that the Holy Spirit is, I think, I think the Holy Spirit is a songwriter. There are songs going on right now. There's an abundance of songs in the world and God is ready to bestow them on willing songwriters. So I feel like there's a wealth of material out there that I can get. Um, songwriters who have to look within for songs, it's like, wow, that's a lot of pressure. And it, you're finite, you're this finite thing. So eventually the songs run out. But the fact that I can look up and find songs from without, <laughs> I mean, that's just like, great, like I'll never run out of material, you know, and get to participate in a very long legacy of songwriting. I mean, it says that God sang over the waters in the beginning of time, and like I get to participate in what that eternal form is. Mm -hmm. So, it's, I, yeah, I think it's awesome. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I love it. About like singing over the waters in the beginning. That's awesome. That's a great image. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, I don't know that for my visual art, I mean, I think the way that my faith most influences that is I, I do try and give back. I try and support things like Forefront. Um, there was an anti-human trafficking conference in Italy that my mom ran that I like did all their branding for, um, and we worked on that. And so it's like, I think that's more tangibly how I look at it. I, I'd say probably more with my poetry. Um, I love ancient holy texts just in general, and I draw so much imagery from that, and I think the stories in there are so beautiful and so cool. Um, that's probably my biggest, where it's like, as a Christian, like, there are just times where the simplest image hits you the hardest. Going back to Kanye's album, the song, my personal favorite track is, like, we have everything we need. And it's like, right there, it's like, oh, we don't have to do this because we have everything we need. Like, we don't have to, like, commit this sin or, like, strive this hard or try anymore because we have everything we need. And that is, like, so freeing, but that image is, like, so simple at the same time. So that's probably, as specifically as a poet, um, when I write, I will often incorporate biblical images just because it's good storytelling. Uh -huh. When do we get to talk about the fact that Kanye's album has the same branding color scheme as Forefront? Ooh. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> little collab. <laughs> Forefront 2020. And that's his, like, cue to come in. What would you do as Kanye? And then he, like, busts open the doors. He's like, Sunday service at Sunday Forefront. Service. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Literally making jokes about that exact thing last night. <laughs> do have everything we need. I know. <laughs> Kanye's Kanye, here. Kanye, come. I will, I will say there's been a crazy formula on the podcast, and Melanie is like proof of this, where we do occasional arts reviews on the show, and so I'll come on and say, hey, I found this album. I really love it. And then we'll tag all the artists that we talk about on the episode on like Twitter and stuff. 
And so Melanie is just one person who said, hey, thanks for talking about me. And so three times that has happened now. So Kanye, if you're listening. <laughs> um, I love that, um, that image of abundance that came out in both of your answers. Um, yeah, I feel that so often when I'm just in the practice room hacking away at something, I just, I, that, that urge to, to feel like I need to make this happen, I need to create the, like, this, live, this performance lives or dies on what I'm able to do. Um, and I, I wonder what, I wonder, I wonder what a posture looks like for an artist to kind of just take our hands off of what we're doing and, and just kind of invite the Lord in and say, like, I, I on my own, like, cannot do this. Like, I'm not sufficient for, for this work. And yet, we've been given what we've, we've been giving these giftings for a reason, and they're just that. They're gifts that we have received that we did not create and did not <laughs> earn. Um, and they don't belong to us in a way, and yet we get to cultivate them anyways. So I, I wonder, I wonder, this is just coming to my head, but I wonder what it looks like to kind of practice as an artist, <laughs> um, putting into practice that, that mindset that like, I'm not enough here, like, I, I, need, I need you, God, to show up. Yeah, I'll never, sorry to, well, okay, I mean, I think about this a lot, and there are a lot of ways to answer. One is, like, what do you do privately so that you're not in your own prison of the mind, you know? Like, because when, so much of creating, and so much of classical music, it's like you're really in solitude a lot, whether you're, whether you're creating or you're in the practice room, that's a very solitary thing. And as soon as you get alone with yourself, like all the demons come too. So we all know what that experience is like to either be creating something or practicing and like wrestling those demons that are like your ego. It's your ego saying like, you're not good enough. You have no business here. You can't hit that high note. You're injured, whatever it is. And it's like, so if you're a child of God, you can be like, no, that's a lie. I, I reject that lie and I stand in the truth of who Christ made me. Okay, so you have, that inter you have that solitary battle that you fight. But then there's a, and get the weight off you. Mm -hmm. Like stand in, stand in your identity as a child of God who has been given a gift. And it's not a curse, it's a gift. So if it starts feeling like a curse, you've been lied to. And you have to like reject <laughs> the lie. Mm -hmm. And then in public, it's like, the weight is also off you. Like, I just saw an interview. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to stop talking. But I saw an interview with a girl who had a hit. Well, I, it was an interview with a girl who had a hit. She had a breakthrough hit. She got really famous for a while, and then she kind of disappeared. But when she had her hit, someone asked her. It was, like, on the Today Show or something. Like, you came out of nowhere. How did this happen? Your song's number one. And she said, oh, I know how it happened. I did it. <laughs> and I was like, I felt sorry for her. Because I was like, oh, I never want to be there and say, I did it. It's like, I want to be able to say, like, I actually have no idea. Isn't this crazy? It's like, God did this. God elevated the art. God elevated the song. Wow. So, so, not only, so in public and in private, there's a way to be mindset to, like, get the weight off of you so that you can just operate in the gift and be free. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. Okay. That was a lot. Well, I don't know. Is that, that confusing? I have any, I know, I, well, maybe a little, but I don't. Not like, like, <laughs> but like, I don't think it's like a clear-cut concept. Like, I don't think you can say like, oh, right, this is how you do that. Yeah. And yeah, it's like, right. oh, right, right, right. Like, because right. I don't have an answer. I don't know. Um, I just tried to solve yeah. that. Solve that all. I think that that's like a good thing you said though about like. I think once you're in that mindset of like, yeah, I did it. It was me. Yeah. Then you're like, oh, you're you've lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you're done now. Like. Yes. And the public loses, because then the public's like, oh, well, I guess if you can't do it, then you can't do it. Right. I think it's like once you become an end to yourself, it's like, that's just so circular. You don't have anything else left to give, really. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Wow. That question's too hard next. Yeah, I got out of my depth. I got out of my depth for a second. There were a couple good things in there. <laughs> I have so many things that I would love to 
to ask you guys about. But we do have to move on to our Q&A. But last official question for me, um, because I always end our podcast like this, if you had an encouragement or a challenge for Christians in the arts, what would it be? Okay, I think the biggest thing that I've, or, or the thing that has always impressed me most about works of art that I've listened to or looked at or read um, that have touched me or made me change how I viewed or thought about something is that they were well done and they were well thought out and that you could tell that there was the art, like part of the artist was in it. Um, so like in its most basic form, it's just care about what you do and do it well. That's what I try to do. And you won't always do that and that's okay and you should still try. Um, what immediately comes to mind for me is Sufjan Stevens' album, Carrie and Lowell, is like a piece of art that I think has like very deep Christian themes in a lot of ways. And for me, it was like, oh, he's not just singing about how sad it would be if someone's mother died. He's singing about how hard it was for him when his already troubled relationship with his mother, you know, when she passed. And that deeply influenced that. And the songs that come from it, like, come from him in like a real way mm. so I, I think like you know you're always going to be a Christian you're always going to be an artist and I think a really good guiding like North Star or at least it has been for me is like just care about what people who you respect in your discipline make and try and just like, if you aim for quality, I think God's going to respect that. Like, if you aim to do the best job, if you care about, you know, the one-off projects and, you know, the projects where you're like, this could really help me, like, if you treat both the same, I think that's really going to further you a lot more than, like, when you see someone who's like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a Christian artist, by the way, I'm a Christian artist. Did you know that, that I was a Christian artist? And you're like, yeah, but you're, like, not a good artist, you know? And it's like, so I don't, so it doesn't really matter anymore, like, Jesus wasn't any less or more Jesus because his, of his carpentry, but like that was his profession and what he was known for too. So it's like, you know, you got to care about what you're doing. Like you got to care about your work. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, I would say. Right. Yeah, your faith is going to take care of itself because like God's not going to let go of you, you know, so. Right. I mean, I, my answer to this question might be the same as when I answered it before. When you asked me, should I say... That it. same answer. Well, yeah. when Zach asked me, Zach and I talked about a year ago, and he asked me the same question, like, how would you encourage Christian artists? And I think I responded by um, talking a little bit about self-promotion and how in this age where self-promotion, no matter what discipline you're in, is so important, how do you function as a Christian in this age because we all know that like meekness and humility have, are so fundamental to what, how we follow Christ's call. But how do you do that and then also really promote yourself? <laughs> because right now, if you don't promote yourself, how do you surface? Because this is the age that we are in. So my encouragement would be go for it. I think that I think that sometimes the most honoring thing you can do to God is be like, "Hey, I I wrote this song and it's great. I would love for you to hear it." Or I play, I have a recital coming up. I would love for you to come. Mm. Like speak with enthusiasm about whatever you're doing and with no apology or no embarrassment. And um, I, I will say, like I had my own dark night of the soul about the self-promotion thing and I asked the Lord about it like how do I do this I don't even know how and it feels so icky but aren't, aren't I supposed to just let you do the work and like you elevate the work? and I just felt the Lord say like you you can fight for your work like you fighting for your work in the public square does not dishonor me it does not make you haughty or boastful like you're free to speak on your own behalf for your work so that's what I would say yeah retweet <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> Hashtag Kanye. Forefront. <laughs> yeah, that makes me think about like going back to like creation and God speaking over the waters and how everything God made, he looked at it at the end of the day and said, this is good. Yeah. Yeah. 
and how um, seldom I think God looks at the work that I'm doing and says, like, that's good. Like, what if God delights in the work that we do? <laughs> well, I love those responses. Thanks, you guys, for sharing. Um, okay, we have 15 minutes, my bad, um, for some questions from you all now. So we have two mics here at the ends of the aisles. Come on up. Hello. Hey. <laughs> so... Um... Let me see if I can phrase this correctly. Uh, I think there's a lot of ways that Christians can engage with art through a Christian lens, whether it's more or less overt in, uh, in reference to like actual like biblical content or like the gospel. So how would you guys say, would, I mean, could you describe about the way that you found your voice expressing your faith through your art, especially Melanie going from a more like, like Broadway that isn't necessarily like overtly Christian to a mode of singer songwriting that does deal with that more directly. Okay. So how do you find your, vo- how did I, how did say it one more yeah, time? Yeah. Kind of like, how did you find your voice or how did that, what was that transition like for you? Like what brought that about? I, that's a great question. I, so I, I, for me, the Christian voice coming through in the writing, and some, my songs are like 50-50, like some I think would be, you know, outwardly said like, oh, that's CCM or whatever, and then the other half would just be like, could operate in any faith worldview. Um, so, but, so for me, it's a very organic process. It's like, sometimes, I don't know, super Christian words come out, and so the song, and then the song exists. I don't give it a lot of thought, but I will say, like, I've made five records in Nashville now, and, like, let me tell you, like, there's a lot of people who are very strategic in how they express their faith in their songs. I don't know about, like, other art disciplines. So that's, like, a murky thing. Like, how does your faith get, how does your faith get infused in your art? I don't know. I just know for me that I don't force it at all. Um, but there is, but there are a lot of people thinking a lot in boardrooms, you know, about how to write Christian songs that express faith and you know, make, make people money and get popular. And yeah, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, Those yeah. same people are in different boardrooms <laughs> um, trying to brand every mega church to look and feel the same so that people say that's a church, even though it's called like, like you know, the water, cool. the water way or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, like I want to go to that yeah, cool church. Yeah. <laughs> they have how many lights on stage? It probably is cool. It yeah, probably it actually probably is, is cool. cool. Yeah. Not to knock mega churches if you know you're in one. Or, um, this church is pretty cool. I would. This church is very cool. I would love cool. to be yeah. here every Sunday. Um, so, I think like Gorgeous. my answer would be twofold. Um, I was working in a church, so it was like you have to be explicitly Christian to an extent. Um, yeah. I think one really good practice that I've found very helpful for me, especially if you're a designer, um, is when you're doing visual research. Um, other people did it better, and it's okay to steal. That's another big one. <laughs> Stealing is okay, um, because if anything, it just elevates someone else's work if you, you know, give it the right credit, um, which you should do. But uh, Good artist copy, great artist steal. Yeah. Um, so I think, like, one project comes to mind I did, like, in uh, a Good Friday service, and I thought iconography has always been very important in the church for centuries. So... It was pretty simple from that point then to be like, okay, I'm going to hearken back to that and just make my own set of icons for this. And they were like, you know, kind of ornate. You know, they definitely, they were definitely using that visual language. It's kind of easier, I think, maybe with design where it's like the whole point is just to have a common visual language. And the the Catholic Church are like the masters of it. Um, And then I think for poetry or, you know, my, more of my written work and like, which is more personal to me. Um, it's really natural. It's like, this is a lens that I've been taught to see out of my entire life. How can I not say, I feel like the prodigal son right now, and now I'm going to draw that simile in a way that because it's me, because I'm a unique person, because you're a unique person, and you know, because God made us differently, we're going to take that same example, and we're going to put our own spin on it, and they're going to say, oh, that's a uniquely Christian viewpoint of someone who's dealing with their own demons or loss or suffering or whatever, um, or their own joys and hopes and, you know, all those things. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, like, 
respect what other people have done and draw from it because it's a wealth of knowledge. Thank you. I know I've already been on stage, but I got a question anyway. Um, so this could be for either of you, but like I'm thinking about it from a designer perspective. So I guess it's like specifically to Austin, but I'd love to hear your thoughts, Melanie, as well. But how do you deal with it as an artist and someone who has a creative style when you are creating something for like a client or whatever that would be? Like if you're creating something for another person who has some authority over how it ends up looking and you have really poured yourself into that product and then when you show it to your client, like in this case of design, or I don't know if you have an applicable similarity, um, Melanie, but like you've poured yourself into something, you give it to the client, and they're like, I hate it. Or they ask you to change a bunch of things about it that in your mind are what make it what it is. Like how do you deal with that when you've been commissioned to create art for someone, but then they don't like your vision? Like how does that work for you? I write a really nasty email. <laughs> <laughs> and then I yell for a while and then I delete it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, that was like my job for a year. Um, and that person was like my pastor. And it was like, it was really frustrating, but I think the things that I learned from it, because um, frustrating experiences are actually super good and important, um, I became a significantly more patient person. Um, your ability to communicate should also improve mm. because... Um, and, and then finally, I would say expectation management. That's like 99% of discord in the world, I think, is just people have mismanaged expectations. So if you say, like, and I know that, uh, I guess I'll speak to this, like Rich with Forefront, we've done this a lot. We're all, you know, when you first asked me, I said, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to have three rounds of drafts. You know, you're going to give me your prompt. We're going to have three rounds of drafts. We're going to go back and forth on those. But eventually, you have that timeline of, like, this is done at this point. Um, empathy's huge. You know, they care about it as much as you do. They want it to look good as much as you do. And I think finding the common ground where you can is super important. So like with my old job, um, we, you know, it, it ended up being a thing where actually my boss and I had a great working relationship um, the further along that we got. Um, and I didn't necessarily believe in what, um, in his like vision. Um, but you know, it, it just became a thing where I said, this isn't my battle right now. Um, you know, I, I can do this and I'll put my best into it and I'll make sure that my work is as good as it can be in this way. But um, yeah, I think thick skin is a big part of it. Um, and then the other part of it is um, just continuing that discussion of just how to approach creative projects in general. And, and a lot of that is just expectation management, making sure that you're both on the same page mm -hmm. um, and you're making sure that you're that way from the get-go. And then I would say that like every so often there's a project where you just go, this isn't gonna work. And it was never gonna work. Mm -hmm. And so there's not really a whole lot of sorrow or mourning there. It's just, okay, this wasn't gonna work this time. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that answers your question either, but. Hey. Um, so, Melanie, what you were saying about the uh, battle for the artists in the private and then the public sector really resonated. That was really awesome stuff. And I'm curious to hear you talk more about um, the, specifically the battle in the public sector and how that is in tension with what you were saying about self-promotion. Because it kind of seems like those two are almost like you know, two sides of the same coin, where we want to be humble and give praise to God in those moments. But then you talk about the importance of self-promotion in the, the age that we live in. Um, so what does that process look like for you? How do you navigate that tension? And awesome, you can share, you know, what that looks like for you as well. But Melly, since you brought that up, I'm interested to hear, like, how you navigate that. Uh, so I think what you're asking is, how do I how do I go into self-promotion without hating myself in the morning? Is that what you mean? Is that what you mean, basically? Okay. Okay, uh, yes. I will, this is my answer. Um, I look at my work... Okay, and I'm only saying how I do it because this might help you. And, I would, and if, you, if this jogs any thoughts of you guys, I would love to talk individually about it. But I look at... There's this whole thing, like 
The work can speak for itself. Like, do the work, and if the work is excellent, it will speak, speak for itself. Have you guys heard this? Okay, I don't think that's true, because in this age, there's so many people speaking that if you ask the work to speak for itself, it will not be heard. So I look at my work as someone who needs advocacy, and like, if my work, so if I give birth to work, and there it is in the world, and I orphan it, then that is not fair to the work. So if the work is orphaned, it needs an advocate, and I can be I can be an advocate for it. And it gives, me a, it gives me space between me and the work. I'm no longer fighting for myself, if that makes sense. I'm fighting for the work. I'm speaking for the work. And then I can do it in a way, I mean, for me, it's become like a justice issue. It's like, it's not fair for a song to be out there without someone being like, hey, guys. <laughs> There's a, song out, there's a song out there, it's like here it is, and like here's what it's about, and here's where you can find it. And kind of pointing at it in all kinds of ways. Um, so that, that is how I promote my work with integrity in a way that I feel is honoring to God. And I'm now so far down that road that if I were to release a project and not put money behind the marketing, have a social media strategy, shop it to all the labels, like if I were to not do those things, I think I would be dishonoring to God. That's how far I've gone. So I, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't think I have, I probably don't have you know, buy-in from everyone on this, but that's just where I am now. I don't know if that's helpful, but. Really quick thing is just if you do feel bad about it, start promoting other people's work too. Like, just give back, you know, promote your stuff, promote their stuff, and then it becomes an exchange, and it's a lot less guilty, which it shouldn't yeah. be guilty to begin with, but, yeah. Yeah, and it kind of happens organically. Like, yeah. when you come, it kind of just becomes like, oh, <laughs> when you're celebrating your own work, and it's from, like, a, your, your place, your Christ-centered yeah. <laughs> heart, then you actually just want to celebrate work in general. Yeah, definitely. And it doesn't have to be forced. I don't know. It becomes a lot more fun, that's for sure. Huh. Did you, guys, did you guys hear that question because her mic was off? She's, do you want to say the question again? You can say it. Oh. <laughs> she said, how do, you, how do you navigate touring and kind of living a roadie life for weeks on end and then trying to come back and like reintegrate into normal life? Right? How many people are on a touring schedule here? Anybody? I guess like if you're in conservatory, you're away from home. Um, so I, I, I'm single. I don't have kids. And I think that God has uniquely positioned me to be that way so that being on the road is easier. And I love being on the road. Um, I think God has just given me a lot of grace for it. Some, I mean, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. And I think that if you do, have, if you do find yourself in a we're, in a... we're in a global age, so if you reach a level in your art, travel is probably going to be a part of it no matter what discipline you're in. And I think if you have the stomach for it, you should absolutely get on the plane and go to the places and like connect with people in person with your art. And if you don't have the stomach for it, don't do it. That's what the internet is for. <laughs> Any final questions? We have one minute. Do I gotta speak in the microphone? Um, all right, this is a potentially controversial question. Um, you're probably going to have your own personal uh, answer to it, but what I wanted to ask was about inspiration and consumption of non-Christian art, whether it's music or film or literature. How do we interact with artists who are not, uh, that do not have God in mind as they are creating? Um, and should we interact with it? Um, are there biblical principles uh, or commandments, or is it just kind of wisdom? I wish we like do you say what we're going to say on three at the same time? <laughs> no, I'm just no, 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 you didn't. I was, I was um, making a joke. Uh, yeah, just do it. Interact. Dive head, like dive headlong in. I don't know. I don't think, I don't think you're going to find anyone serious in the arts who's like, I won't look at that. Like, it's like, no, just do. And like, if it's repugnant, you'll be, you know, repulsed by it. And like, there you go. Like, that's your answer. I don't know. It, all truth is God's truth. And you're going to find that in places that's not the Bible. And it, that's definitely not in, you know, anything that is like, in fact, if something is like 
super like Christian, 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 Christian art. Like we're all Christian art. Like that's all we do. I'm like, it's a really, really myopic. That's really like one, one track. So I think you should consume as much art as you can. I think you should engage with it thoughtfully. And I think you will never yield, like never leave with out fruit from that. Yes, I totally agree. Agree. I think about, you know, just the idea of, of like common grace that all artists who are endowed with the ability to create are doing that by grace um, in the same way that we do. Um, it, it makes me think about what C.S. Lewis says about, about criticism, about how to, to properly critique and speak about a piece of art you must first surrender to, to the piece of art itself. Mm. So I wonder if the question then becomes like what? do we surrender to? Yeah. I mean, some, sometimes I think interacting with art, like, I love what you said about art being repugnant. Have you guys had that experience? Like, sometimes I get more out of being repelled by something than I do with really resonating with it, because... Okay, so you guys. So I saw... What is... <laughs> I, it, uh, the name is escaping me, that movie that Shallow's from. What's that movie? What movie? A Star is Born. A Star is Born. Okay. So when I saw A Star is Born, Hollywood's obviously obsessed with A Star is Born. It's been made three times, four times. And I walked out of that movie being like, wow, all the values in this movie I am totally against. And all the values being elevated in this movie are why I want to put something into culture. And it, like, I left that movie feeling like, oh, I am more convicted than ever that Christians belong in the creative spheres to tell a story that is different from this one. And so sometimes there's so much value in being repelled because it gives you that contrast of like, okay, well, if this is out there, then I better be out there telling, telling a different story. Yeah. Like, it, it reminds me that I'm needed. I have a super pertinent example to that. I was at Midas getting my brakes changed, and this kid just started talking to me, which is like, I'm fine with it, but you know the kind of fine I am with it. Where it's like, okay, like we're doing it. Um, and he, and so we got to talking about what he did, and he was literally to my face was like, yeah, one of my hobbies is talking to strangers, and I was like. That is my nightmare. Um, so, <laughs> and so he, we get talking, and I, and I was like, "What do you do in your spare time?" Blah blah blah. And he was like, um, "I kind of go to art movies a lot." And I was like, "Oh, did you see the Joker?" Like randomly, and he was like, "Yeah, I really related to that character." And I was like, oh. "And he was like, you know," and, and I was like, "Okay." And then he was like, "And it really scared me because I felt that lonely." And he was like, "And I've." felt that ostracized, and that dude killed people, and that scares me. And then we had like a 20 minute conversation after that about like, yeah, why aren't there more movies where like the lonely person, the damaged person, the rejected person, which aren't we all, where that person like gets help and is okay and finds community and like the therapy works and they heal. Like, why do they have to go and kill people why is that like the only example or like not even the only example because like you know goodwill hunting a beautiful mind you know there are really powerful stories of redemption out there don't get me wrong but why is the one where the, where it's glorified almost you know he's a super attractive character like the joker you're like ooh, like i feel stuff like you know like you're scary but like he's a dark person and a person in a dark place will relate to that dark person, and that can be very, very terrifying. And, I, and so, yeah, I just totally agree. Is It's like, go watch that movie, be horrified by it, and recognize that like, there is darkness in this world, and God promises darkness in this world, and then he promises light. But you're so, but you're so right. Have you guys seen The Joker? I haven't even seen it, and I'm scared. Well, okay, I won't spoil it for you guys, but if you look at culture, look, I'm going to sound like Kanye here, but I'm saying what he's saying. Look, if you look at culture, if you, whether it's a song, movie, TV show, whatever, if you distill every single ex artist, art expression out there down to its fundamentals, it's telling one of two stories. There's redemption through the self and ultimately death. Because, I mean, like, the Joker starts killing people, and you feel like, yeah, Joker's now his true self, okay? 
that's not a spoiler. Okay, or, or there's redemption through like life and, self, and sacrifice for others and love. There's really two stories out there being told. So it's like, which story are you going to be out there telling? You get to decide. And um, I don't know, it's a powerful thing. Wow. Retweet. <laughs> I think that's an incredible place to, to end it. Um, can we give a round of applause to Melanie and Austin? Yeah.